John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this, this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And for the poor, you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a story that is so remarkable, especially when you flesh it out. And we're going to do that for a minute. First thing we need to recognize is that in Bethany, and in particular in this family, there's been this quiet, steady increase in sanctification. You remember sanctification is sort of a setting apart, a holiness. It's a it's something we all strive for. You know, we all want to be sanctified daily. It's, another way to put it is, is that, that we're more devoted to Christ and more filled with the Spirit every day than we were yesterday, and not as much as we will be tomorrow. That's sanctification. So this has been going on, and it is, you know, our pleasure and, and our privilege to try to flesh out what's happening in, in real time instead of these compressed segments of storytelling because we've, we've gone from Martha, who we talked about last week, being really committed to the doctrinal standards of her faith and not really seeing Christ for who he is, but she does now. And Mary is the same but different because she's got a different personality, but she's also dealing with who he is and now she sees it like she didn't before. And probably everybody who made regular visits to the house there in Bethany where Jesus often stayed have grown in personal sanctification, personal holiness. And this is expressed very plainly and really profoundly in the actions of Mary on this particular evening. Now, that week or two before Jesus' crucifixion, he was staying almost every night in Bethany at their house. So he's going into Jerusalem, which is a place that is very hostile to Jesus. And he is in his own way, both controlling the circumstances and being victimized by the circumstances. So what a, what a refuge it must have been for him to come back to Bethany each night, to rest and to be surrounded by people who loved him and accepted him, who seemed to understand who he is 
in a more extraordinary way that even some of his own followers in the, in the apostles in particular didn't fully understand. And this is evident in this story. And so in his weariness and his, you know, he, he's human. And so this humanity that he experiences is no doubt a, a source of occasional discouragement for him too. Jesus gets discouraged while he's working his earthly mission. He, he's, he's experiencing a certain amount of, of uh, anxiety. And so he makes statements of faith to the Father just like we do. Lord, sometimes I don't know how this is going to go. I know that it's all in your hands, though. And I know that whatever happens, if I die, I die. But if you are in control, then good will come from it. Your will shall be done. And so Jesus has this. We know it when we see him praying in Gethsemane. He has this. And, and, and so he must have thought as he's walking away, dejected and disappointed to a certain extent, that the very people who claim to uphold the authentic religion of the one true God are the ones who want to kill him for revealing that God in the most complete way. You know, he, he must have been frustrated and disappointed how he wept on the side of, Mount, of the Mount of Olives as he looked over Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, you reject the people God sends you. How I wanted to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks. You know, he was frustrated. He probably prayed that prayer going or coming from, going to or coming from Bethany. My guess is, is it was the end of the day, you know? And he was going back to Bethany. And there's, a, there's another character, there's a fourth character in this story that never gets named in so many words, but it's, it's probably the father of Mary and Martha and Lazarus because he was a leper who was healed early in the story. And there are strong indications that this is probably their father. But under those circumstances, they were in effect orphaned as young adults because he couldn't be anywhere near them while he suffered with leprosy. And so it's likely that he said, Martha, I think Jesus needs a dinner in his honor. We need to put something on and put on a spread and really give him some encouragement. And so a dinner table is set and, you know, Martha's in her element, you know, this is what she loves to do. So it's no surprise that, that this is her expression of love. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit in a minute. But I want you to begin now to think about your favorite way to express love. You know, I learned a long time ago that my beautiful bride loves to prepare great meals for us. She's like Martha. It, it's her love expressed through physical activity. She doesn't talk about it much. She just does it. And it gives her great pleasure to, to not only do the work that she enjoys 
say in a similar way that I enjoy hard work in my garage, working on repairing a car or building a wood project or working in my yard or something, you know, it's, a, it's hard work, but I enjoy it. It makes me happy. And there's nothing that pleases me more than when my bride says, you know what I wish? I wish I had, boy, as soon as she says that, man, my antenna are up and I'm, I'm getting ready to write this down. If I'm lucky, she wants me to build her something, you know? And, and so it makes me happy, you know, and, and, and I bleed easily. So, you know, it's like, you can always tell when I've been happy because I have band-aids all over me, like right now, see? And, and so, you know, what's your love language is, was popularly, or popularized, I should say, some time ago. What is it that you do to express your love? Martha prepares a proper feast for Jesus and the 12 and her brother Lazarus. And it's a celebration probably because they haven't had the opportunity until now to celebrate his resurrection, or I should say his restoration. Resurrection is the wrong term for what happened to Lazarus, I beg your pardon. And that's important because of what we'll talk about in a few weeks. But but it's one thing to be brought back to life after being dead. It's another thing to be resurrected. So, so Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He awaits the resurrection now, just as we do. But they wanted to celebrate, and perhaps this was what they wanted to celebrate. And maybe it took them a little while to understand what to celebrate. And then Martha gets her opportunity to express her love in the way that is most natural to her. Now I wanna to jump to her sister Mary because she's the center figure, central figure in this story uh, that we just read. And before I talk about Mary of Bethany, I'd like to talk for a minute about Mary of Nazareth. Now Mary of Nazareth, you remember, was just a young girl who was betrothed to a nice fellow named Joseph and her whole future lie ahead of her and it all depended on this marriage to Joseph because in those days and in that culture, a woman's future was tied to the man she would marry. It was just the way it was and so Mary had everything riding on this relationship with Joseph and then she gets a visitation from the angel Gabriel who says, hey, guess what? God wants you to carry his son in your womb. And you know the story. We just talked about it a couple of months ago. She says, okay, I'm in. <laughs> My soul magnifies the Lord. I think those are some of the most beautiful words in scripture. Let's just say that Mary gives us a better definition of what sanctification means than probably anybody ever did because she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and that would be sanctification. Rewiring and reworking your priorities and your very heart's desire so that it's loving and magnifying the love of God so what does it cost her? Everything. Now she's in danger of losing a betrothal to, to Joseph. She's in danger of losing her life because as far as the rest of the world is concerned, it's an illegitimate pregnancy and it's outside of her relationship with Joseph. And, uh, 
So there's no hurry up shotgun weddings or anything like that. There's nothing. It's just she's, she's going to be relegated to the realm of the undesirables at best. Now let's go to Mary of Bethany. Mary enters this room where Jesus is reclining and she takes what is essentially her dowry, a year's pay in a jar. This, this pound of nard is worth about as much as what you would earn in a year's time if you worked full time, six days a week. That's what this was worth. It was probably given to her you know, passed down, for example, uh, by her mother, let's say. And she brings it out from wherever she kept it. And she does something utterly unbelievable. She pours it out over his head. <laughs> Just pours it all over him. And if that wasn't unbelievable enough... She does something that frankly was reserved for the bedroom of a husband and wife. She lets down her hair. See, you don't really get that if you don't understand how completely taboo that would have been under those circumstances. She lets down her hair, which was an act of sensuality. And that's how it was perceived by all the people in the room. The difference is some of them saw it for what it was and some of them saw it through the lens of legalism. They saw it through their cultural and religious norms. What this Mary did is like what the first Mary we talked about did because at this moment she has just put her whole future in jeopardy for the sake of Jesus, just like Mary of Nazareth because she just blew her dowry on Jesus and then she blew her reputation by doing something that a woman would never do in public and certainly not to a man with whom she has no formal relationship. Pretty amazing. Bet you hadn't heard that one before or you hadn't heard it in a while. What Mary did was in some way like what Martha did, an expression of her deep love for Jesus, given in the most natural and organic way that she could give it. And so remember, this is the same Mary who sat without giving it a thought in the company of men who were invited to sit under a rabbi and listen. This is the same Mary who wept at his feet when she found out he had come a little too late for her brother. This is Mary, who is deep and very emotional. And Mary, Mary is doing something here that expresses her personality. Now, this leads us to the idea that there is a cost for discipleship, and she's expressing it. I, I can't help, you know, I, this isn't what it might, the statement I'd like to make is not what it might sound like it is. But the truth is, is that you cannot deny that some of the most profound expressions 
of understanding, of comprehension of who Jesus really is in the New Testament come from the women around him. <laughs> you can't deny it. And I said it's not what it sounds like because I'm not here to you know, celebrate women or anything like that. I, I think women are awesome. But this is what I really want you to see is that, that for whatever reason, they're less pretentious about Jesus. They're less uptight about Jesus. And they are almost universally women who aren't accepted in the ranks of society. They're not the women who have a lot to lose socially. They're people who really need for this rabbi to redeem them in some way. Even Mary of Nazareth, Nazareth, she's been, uh, she's been chosen for something that she will, without hesitation, do. But from that moment forward, she is going to be utterly dependent upon the child within her womb. She's the first Christian. Mary here in Bethany is for all intents and purposes, probably the most authentic Christian in the room. Because first expression of authentic Christianity is not caring about what it costs you to love and serve Jesus Christ. When you're no longer afraid of the cost of discipleship, you're on the way to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And from that point forward, it accelerates exponentially. We talk about this all the time on Sunday mornings. As you know, we don't have any choice but to deal with the fact that God is always asking us to give up our self-interests in favor of God interests. We are always being challenged to find a way to give up those things that are about our comfort, about our pleasure, about our security, about our status, even our vanity. We're asked to give that up in order to really authentically serve God and all the characters in the Bible that most please God have that in common. Whatever the cost, they serve God first. They say, whatever the cost, my soul is meant to magnify the Lord. And so here's Mary of Bethany, magnifying the Lord. And what he says to his legalistic followers who are epitomized by Judas Iscariot, but trust me, there were others in the room who were just as troubled as Judas and probably even gave him a hear, hear when he spoke up. And Jesus says to them, you know what, you guys, you're so totally out of it, you don't even understand what's going on here. You don't get it. And all I'm gonna tell you is, is that I'm only gonna be here for a little while and pretty soon I'm gonna endure something that you can't even fathom. And she's already tuned into that and trying to comfort me. And then he tells them, the poor aren't going anywhere. They'll always be around. So today, do what you can. 
like she has in order to express utter devotion to your God, your King, your Savior, your Lord. And what we know from the story of Easter is, is that there are people that are just not going to get it. There's even people hearing me today who just aren't going to get it. And what I need to do as an individual who just happens to be your pastor is just make sure that I get it, <laughs> to make sure that I do it. And that's the last thing I want to share with you today is... Remember how I asked you earlier to think about how you best expressed your love, the things you do to show your love and devotion to the people you care most about. And then ask yourself if you treat Jesus that way. Do you? Do I? Do, do we consciously decide every day what our priorities are based on the love we have for Christ. The remarkable thing about what Mary of Bethany has done here is, is that she has experienced the love of Christ in a fullness that was unique, especially in those days, but I'd say it's just as unique today. She understood the depth of his love for her. And not just his love for her as an individual, but she understood his depth of love for humanity. She understood why he would have to endure what he was about to endure. She knew this instinctively. She, she thought about it. She sat and listened to him teach. She, she was the one who was more attentive to him even when people were expecting her to do things that were more appropriate for a person in her position. And so she's dialed in. And she's even more dialed in because she's been willing to pay the price to be dialed in. She's, she's accepted the criticism even in her own household for being dialed in to Jesus. She's willing to pay the price of discipleship. And her reward for her discipleship is an understanding of Jesus that most people didn't have at that time. And some people don't have even now, even though we've had 2,000 years to think about it. What she recognizes is that God loves the world so much that he gave his son so that our sin could be forgiven and we could be restored to a complete relationship with God despite our inability to be suitable for that. In other words, we're not suited to serve or live and we're not suited to do the dirtiest job in God's household, but he, through Christ Jesus, has given us a redemption and a, a acceptance that is so profound that he not only invites us to be in his household, but he invites us to sit at the head table with Jesus, to be as sons and daughters of God in the same vein as Jesus. That's love. And what's even harder to grasp is that that love is more of an expression of how God feels about his son than it is about how God feels about us. What would you sacrifice for the sake of someone you love so profoundly? In a way, 
God is honoring Jesus pouring himself out so that you could be saved. Whatever the cost to Jesus, the son, in the same way that Mary pours out her future and her reputation for the sake of the son. And so God says, you know, my son loves these people so much. I'm gonna give him everything he desires and more. And what did Mary do? She pours out her love on Jesus, whatever the cost. And Jesus says, she gets it, folks. Do you see that? It's the love of the Father directed to the Son and the Son's love directed towards the people he came to redeem. And it's all about paying the cost of that love in order to express that love to the fullest extent. And that is what we're asked to do, to love him back. Mary got it. What would you do for someone you adore that much? As you have no doubt noticed, I got in the habit many, many years ago, 31 years ago, of referring to my wife as my bride, and I still do. And I don't do it to impress you, I do it to remind myself that that is what she always is to me. It's a way that I say to myself that she will never stop being that important to me and that beautiful to me and that, so, that relationship so filled with hope. So it's just a little thing I say all the time that used to be a habit that I worked at that now is a habit that just comes naturally. It's a small example of what we're talking about because I decided a long time ago that if my wife and my children don't believe that I love Jesus, why should anybody else? What cost are you willing to pay to show the depth of love that you feel for the one who saved you because of the depth of love directed to you. Do you realize that all of us are filled with self-hatred? It's just a question of how well we regulate it, <laughs> that we all look in the mirror and see things we don't like, that we all do things and say things that we don't like, and in our quiet moments when we don't think anybody can hear us, we're criticizing ourselves, we're condemning ourselves, and, and yet there are others in our lives who see only the things they love most about us, and some of them, in most cases, are the closest to us. They are our husband, our wife, our children, you, you remember the old prayer? I, I mean, it's, it's actually attributed to cowboys and their horses, but I like the dog version better. Lord, please make me the kind of person my dog thinks I am, right? When my dog thinks I hung the stars and the moon and the sun, my dog thinks I'm the most awesome person in the world and I doubt that she thinks there's anything I ever do wrong. And she's just brokenhearted when she feels that she's let me down. Do you adore anyone like that? And what would you be willing to do to express that love to them? Now, what if you were like Mary of Bethany and you get who Jesus is so that you choose to adore Christ that much, whatever the cost? This is what separates the saints of old from average church attending people who believe they are Christians. Being very frank and blunt here, 
But the fact is, is that it's those people that we look to historically as some of the best examples that ever walked the earth of what it meant to follow Christ. And they all have this thing in common with Mary of Bethany. They knew how much he loved them and they returned the love without reservation, whatever the cost. I would rather today that you think more about how much he loves you than anything else because the rest will come naturally. Too often, even when I preach, I hear myself, you know, when I'm self-criticizing after the church service, when I'm riding alone in my car back to my house, I'm criticizing myself because I didn't say this or I should have said that or, boy, that sermon was kind of lame or whatever. Listen, all that's off the table for a moment. The only thing that matters is this. Don't hear me saying you don't love Jesus enough. Don't hear me say that. Hear me say this. He loves you so much that he sees the version of you that at best maybe your dog does, but he sees you so much more than that. He sees you through his eyes, you are perfect. You are the perfect expression of yourself. You're not the perfect expression of other people that he admires. You're not the perfect expression of, of the ideal human being as though there's some like one you know, formula or whatever. He sees you as an individual and he sees the best version of you that could ever be. And that he thought was worth dying for and paying a price that goes way beyond physical death that we'll never fully comprehend but then he came back to get us. Think about how much he adores you. And then maybe your response will begin to look a little bit more like the adoration of someone like Mary of Bethany. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing, for your word. Lord, thank you for your amazing love that goes beyond our comprehension. <laughs> Help us, Lord, Lord to, to feel your love fully and then to be transformed by that love into people who worship and love you because we just can't help it. Amen. Amen.